we're kicking off Christmas, and you know, I've been praying for you, and I've been praying for our church that, that the Christmas season, that this year, it will, it will be really meaningful to all of us. Because here's the reality. Sometimes the, the, the season of Christmas can get so overwhelming. It can get so busy. We're trying to pack everything in. And we lose the meaning, right? We lose the meaning of, of Christmas. Now, we got so much stuff happening, right? We got the decorations. You know, we, we, we got, you know, the cookies, the bacon. We, we've got the, the, the parties, events to go to. Uh, we got Christmas lights, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta drive downtown Rochester, which we did last night, which was crazy, you know, to see all the lights. You know, and driving through the neighborhoods. Yeah, we, we, we got, you got to get the tree. You know, how many of you are the, uh, how many of you are the real people? You get the real trees. You got the real trees? Okay, all right, it's just a couple, all right? Everybody else, <laughs> we, we got the artificial trees, right? I, I remember when, when Karen and I were first married. We've been married, help me out here, Karen. One or two, <laughs> one or two years coming up, one or two years coming up, and, um, and uh, it's hard to think up here, you know. Just give me, a, I don't know, do the math real quick. Um, uh, so you know, 22 years ago, we, we thought, hey, we 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 we'll start a new tradition. We'll, we'll cut our own tree. And it's weird to cut trees, uh, cut your own tree in Florida. Because in your shorts, t-shirt. I mean, it's just a very different feel. And it doesn't feel like Christmas. You know, when you find a tree, and, 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 and the trees in Florida, you know, in the south, they look half sick anyway. <laughs> they don't look good up here. I mean, the, the trees up here, they're beautiful, right? And down there, you're just so, we're just kind of looking through all the trees, and, and we say, okay, we kind of settle with the tree. You know, we, we, you know, I cut it down, and, you know, and we throw it in our, on top of our car. You know, we thought, man, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful tradition. We're going to do this every year. And we put the tree up and, and, in our little house, and a couple of days passed, and we noticed all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we had spiders <laughs> everywhere. Wolf spiders. These guys are mean mean spiders. I mean, they're, you know, they're not poisonous, but they leave a nasty bite. And they were everywhere. And we couldn't figure it out. Did we leave the door open? I mean, what, what happened? Well, the weather's so warm down there that the tree, you know, that the spiders still live in the tree when we cut it. You know, we probably should have checked the tree, you know, what's living inside the tree before we took it inside our homes. And that's what we figured out. We figured out that we actually bought a spider-infested tree. So, you know, we're hauling that tree out before Christmas Day, you know, throwing it. I, I, we were about to burn the house down. We thought we'd just start over, you know. <laughs> and then we bought, we, then we went to Kmart <laughs> and found a tree under the blue light special. <laughs> and we used that tree until last year. That last year, I mean, that tree was a good, solid tree for 21 of our 22 years of marriage, you know. And, uh, but, man, you know, talk about trees, right? You got to get... Now, how many of you got multiple trees in your house? Okay, all right, you got a tree up there, downstairs, in this bedroom, and that bedroom. I mean, it's just a tree. I mean, we got all this stuff going on. You got to get the gifts. How many of you already got started with the gifts? 
right, all right, how many of you haven't started yet? You know, okay, all right, you know, that, that's all going to happen. You got to get gifts for your family, for, for your kids, for your friends, co-worker, for the mailman or the mailwoman, right? You know, garbage men, do, 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 do you give for the garbage men? Are you supposed to do that? You know, and I mean, what do you do with the garbage men? You wait out there, wait for them to show up? What if they don't show up like they're normally supposed to show up? You know, and, and do you give the, the garbage man one envelope and trust him to divide it up with the, all three guys that's on the garbage truck? Or, or what? what? How you work that out, you know? You know, and if they don't show up, do you just tape it to the lid? You know, the, on the bottom of the garbage can lid, and just hopefully they see it for you, you know, trash man, you know. Gifts, I mean, we, we got, you, got, you got to go to Frankie Moo. Uh, you got to make your pilgrimage to Frankie Moo. They got to eat the most overrated chicken on the planet. <laughs> I may have just offended somebody. I am so sorry. <laughs> you got to go to Bronner's. You, know, you got to get the perfect ornament. You know, the, the, you got to go to Santa. You know, and, and oh yeah, right, and all this, and that peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? And, and, and it's actually possible to lose Christmas under a pile of stuff. And so this year for Christmas, our goal at late point is to just help you to kind of step back, you know, just to simplify declutter Christmas. And I know you're going to be doing a bunch of stuff, and that's going to happen. But I hope that when you come to church for the next four weeks, that you'll be able to take a deep breath, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that's what it's all about. And so we're going to simplify, we're going to strip down Christmas by just beholding Jesus. That's the name of our series, Behold. Behold. And my prayer is that when you come here on Sunday, that you'll behold him. You'll behold him through our worship. You'll behold him through the reading of God's word, through the message, that you'll behold Jesus. And remember what this whole thing is all about. I want to start today by talking about behold, we hope. Behold, we hope. Our, our, our passage today is found in Isaiah chapter 9. Some of it will be familiar to you, but I'm going to read some verses here that may not be so familiar. In verse 1 in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, God will honor the Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the joke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, he will accomplish this. These are the words of hope. And this morning, I want to share two thoughts with you. If you're taking notes, the first thought is this, that we are all desperately looking for real hope in our lives. Every one of us is desperate, looking for hope, looking for hope. In verses 1 and 2, I want you to look at some of the words that the prophet Isaiah uses to describe the thing that were. In verse 1, you see the word gloom. You see the word distress. In verse 2, you see the word darkness. You see the words deep darkness. I mean, it sounds very depressing, right? This passage of scripture that we read was written around 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus' birth. Now, 200 years before this passage of scripture, the nation of Israel had kind of a, a civil war, and they were divided into two nations, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. And so Isaiah, the prophet, was directing his words to the nation of Judah. And this was a very shaky, shaky time for them. Some of their close neighbors, surrounding countries, were well-armed, and, and, and they were ready to, to, to invade. You had Egypt in the south. You had Assyria. You had Babylon over here, and they, and they, were, they were all restless. In fact, the people of Judah, Judah were probably feeling a little bit like the people in Poland right now. You know, there's war going on next door, you know, Russia invading Ukraine, and, and there's all this anxiety and fears that maybe the Russian, you know, army would cross over the line and, and start attacking the Polish people. And so there's this nervousness going on. Or maybe the people of Judah kind of feel like how the people of South Korea feels, you know, with North Korea, North Korea right above them. And then the threats of wars and there's missiles going off and and, and so this was a very dangerous time for the people of Judah with fear and anxiety. 
And that's why they needed a little hope. Now let's just stop here. Let's talk about what hope is. What is hope? I want to define hope, and, and if you're taking notes, hope is the belief that the future holds good things. That's what hope is. It's the belief that the future holds good things. Hope, by the way, is not a denial of your current reality. Let me say that again. It's not the denial of your current reality. It's looking at the way things are right now. And you say, okay, this isn't good, but I believe. I believe I know that things aren't going to stay like this. Things are going to get better. And that's what hope is. It's the belief that the future holds good things. And as we go into this last month of, of the year 2022, let me ask you a personal question. Where do you need hope right now in your life? Where do you need hope? Maybe for some of you, you, you can relate to the people of Judah. You're worried about what's going on in the world. You're nervous about wars and rumors of wars. Well, maybe for some of you, it's something much more personal. Maybe it's a marriage that does not seem to get, that doesn't want to get better. It doesn't seem like it wants to improve. Feel like it's falling apart. Maybe it's the annoying habit or phobia that you can't shake off. Or, or maybe it's that financial pressure that's just kind of looming over your, over your shoulders. Maybe it's your job that you're just not sure it's going to survive another year. Maybe it's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter who's showing no sign of returning. Where do you today need hope as we head into the Christmas season? Hope is the belief that the future holds good things. Now, as human, as human beings, it's something we, we need. If we have hope, now, if we have hope in our lives, it makes us feel optimistic, doesn't it? It makes us feel energized and confident, anticipation of the future. It's like the future is worth living for. It's like worth getting out of bed in the morning, even, even when things aren't so good. That's what hope does. On the other hand, when we don't have hope, we feel despair, we're distressed, we're depressed, we're numb, we're paralyzed, afraid. We question whether life is worth living. In the 1950s, uh, Harvard University decided to do some tests and experiments. And it sounds a little depraved, but they took a dozen rats. And I don't know why my theme is on spiders and rats today on the, on the first message of Christmas, you know, but it, it is what it is, okay? And so, you know, <laughs> so these scientists, they took a dozen rats and wanted to see how long they would last in water. And they took a dozen rats and there's room in the water and these rats, you know, <laughs> you know, 
trying to survive. There's no way out, you know. They're, they're just trying to swim, keeping their little whiskers and nose above the water, you know. And and in uh, about 15 minutes, they all died. 10 to 15 minutes, they all died. And so the scientists, all the scientists, you know, uh, tracking it down, you know, and it's okay, let's do this again, <laughs> okay? And they, and they took another dozen rats, they threw them in the same water, all right? The water didn't change, the same species of rats, all right? Nothing different. And they put them in the water, and then, and then let these rats try to just swim, all right? You know, and they're trying, to, they're trying to save themselves before they drown. And right before they drowned, right before it was clock out, right before they were about to push some daisies, okay? You know, the, the scientists poured them all out of the water. Dried them up. You know, blow dried their little foes. <laughs> I don't know, you know, gave them a, a, a rat snack, you know, pampered them a little bit, <laughs> you know, shuttled them down for a few minutes, you know, maybe for about a half hour. And then, oh, this sounds so twisted, they threw the rat back in the water. How long do you think those rats, those second set of rats, survived? <laughs> this is what you're going to remember today from the sermon. You know, the rat dance, you know. <laughs> How long do you think they survived? 15 minutes? 30 minutes? How many say they probably survived an hour? How many think an hour? These, the second set of rats survive on average an additional 40 to 50 hours. And the only difference between, between the first set of rats and the second set of rats, the only difference was that the second set of rats were introduced to the idea of hope. Hope. There was a man who survived the Holocaust in a concentration camp. His name is Victor Frankl. And this is what he wrote in his book, as man searched for meaning. He said, the prisoner who lost faith in the future. You got that quote up on the screen? Someone back there? Someone away. There we go. The prisoner who lost faith in the future, in his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline. It became subject to mental and physical decay. Victor Frankl said that he realized that the difference between having hope and not having hope, sometimes it's the difference between life and death. And so how are you looking at the future as we get ready to go into the new year, 2023? Do you have real hope? when things are dark. What we need more than anything else in our lives is a vision of hope. And so we see in Isaiah that he gives a prophecy of hope, a, a, a vision of hope to the people of Judah in 700 PC. So, hey, here, let me show you what hope looks like for us. And we see here in, in verse number two, 
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so Isaiah, he's looking into the future and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's telling the people of Judah who are desperate for hope, who are barely keeping their head above water. He said that there's a light that's coming. It will come. And when this light comes, the light is going to bring two powerful things. First of all, this light is going to bring deep joy. If you're taking note, it will bring deep joy into our lives. Verse number three, he said, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. In other words, they will experience joy at the time of the harvest. Now, I know this is hard for us to understand because we live in a day where we can get food anytime, anywhere. 24-7, we could probably find a grocery store somewhere in our area. But in this time period, they have grocery stores. They totally relied on the harvest. And so he said, hey, you know, joy like a great harvest. You would have joy when harvest season happened. I mean, if you have a, don't have a good harvest, it could be a hard winter ahead for your family. But a good harvest, you know, you, you, you know in, in order to have a good harvest, you've got to prepare the soil, you've got to plant the seed, you've got to pray for the rain, and then they all come together, and you have a good harvest. Man, we can eat again. But we, we, we don't have to starve. We can have dinner parties. You know, it, it, there's going to be great joy when we have a good harvest. And, and, and so, hey, when the light, this light's going to bring this deep joy, and it could be like harvest. And then he said in verse 3, uh, they will also rejoice as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. In other words, trying to, Isaiah trying to describe joy like when the war's over. When you, you'll be able to walk home from battle and you're alive. Well, that's joyful. You, you come home alive. And there's also you know, joy knowing that the oppressors, the invaders, have been held back. They're not going to come and steal our land. They're not going to come and, and kill our families. There's joy in that. And, and so he said this light that's coming is going to bring this deep, deep joy the joy that you kind of experience during harvest time and at the end of war. But then he said that this light is going to bring lasting peace. It's going to bring everlasting peace. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, it says there's going to come a day when combat boots and combat uniforms won't be needed anymore. You can just throw them in the fire. There'll never be any more wars. But can you imagine? 
Can you imagine no more weapons of war? Can you imagine no more defense spending in Washington, D.C.? Can you imagine a world without war? And so the people of Judah, they're hearing all this, and they're desperately looking for hope, and through Isaiah, God has given them this vision of hope when the light comes. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring peace. Now, he hasn't told us what this light is. He hasn't told us, but man, this, this, this light is going to be something special. Which leads us to my second thought here today. We need to recognize that Jesus is the one true hope. That he is the light. And this is where I start to point towards Christmas. In verse number six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah is saying, this hope that I'm talking about is going to show up in the form of a child. And then check out these different names that he gives to this child. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, that is some set of nicknames. I mean, you read it and, and you go, this is not just a mere mortal. I mean, you don't just go around calling people Everlasting Father, you know, Prince of Peace. We just, we just don't do that, right? But Isaiah, he gives us this prophecy of a God-man who will come and bring light of joy and peace. And we push the fast forward button 700 years later. We go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, he's observing Jesus. He's writing about Jesus. He's following Jesus, one of his disciples. And I believe in Matthew chapter 4 is where Matthew had his aha moment. And Matthew realized, oh, wait a minute. We see here, as he's observing Jesus, look at verse number 13. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah back in chapter 9. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, our light has down. You can't, you can't miss this direct quote from the prophet Isaiah, right? Here's what Matthew's saying. He said, this light that Isaiah talked about so long ago, this light that would bring hope into a dark, bleak world, that this hope will come into a form of a child, it's finally here. The waiting is over. The prophecy has been fulfilled. I can just only imagine that Matthew, you know, as he's seeing this, and as his eyes were open and his hands were shaking. It's like, I, I can't believe this. He's here. He has come as Jesus, the Messiah, the light, 
is here. Behold, we hope. Behold, we hope. And for some of you here this morning, you're, you're probably thinking, okay, Scott, this sounds great. It's very lofty, theological, you know, prophecies, and, you know, and Isaiah said something, and, and Jesus showed up. Okay, that's great, and it's, it's wonderful, it's, it's amazing. But this is where I'm living. I mean, how do you take something that's so big and so lofty and bring it to my current situation? I said, meanwhile, it's in my current situation, my marriage is falling apart. Well, I'm in debt, you know, uh, I, with credit cards up to wazoo. You know, I'm just, I'm over it. I've got a, a son or a daughter that I, I don't know where he or she's at. And, and for all I know, that he could, they may not even be alive. I'm not even sure about my job. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm glad the prophecy's got, I'm glad, it, I'm glad it's fulfilled. But what does that have to do with my life? as I'm living right now? You know, and I love that question. I love that you're asking those questions. I love it when people ask that. In fact, Jesus, Jesus was drawn to that. Jesus was drawn to people that ask those, those type of questions. So how, how, how do we take this epic fulfillment of the prophecy that we just spent some time on, and, and how do we actually connect it with hope in our own lives. Well, here's what I'm praying that you'll get today. And that you'll embrace this important truth. That Jesus is in the business of reversing death. Jesus is in the business of reversing death. And I believe that if we can understand and embrace the reality that Jesus reverses death, it will bring tremendous hope to our lives. At the, at the core of the Christmas story, it's a story that's all about a cross in an empty tomb. It's a story about death and a resurrection. Jesus was put to death on the cross, and three days later, he, raised, he rose again from the dead. Jesus is in the business of reversing death. There's been time in my ministry where I've stood with families and friends at the graveside of a follower of Christ. And, and, I, and I grieve, and, and they say their final goodbyes. I'm always able to stand there with all integrity, give them hope that the future holds good things, even for the one who's in the casket. The future holds good things. And I'm able to do that with a clear conscience. You know why? Because Jesus has reversed death. Jesus reversed death. And Jesus' reversal of death, it gives us hope at funerals, but not just at funerals. Because when we make the story, the cross and, and the empty tomb, when we make that the central story of our lives, then it becomes the lens through which we 
give you everything in life. We start to look differently at the little death in our lives, the, the failures, the blown out decisions, the bad decisions we make. We see uh, that God is in the little death and that, that Jesus can reverse death even in all those little situations. God is a God of resurrection. You know, maybe your car just totaled in an accident. And you break three ribs. You're bruised up. You're in the hospital. And you say, okay, this is bad. You know, this is darkness. This is, this is like cross. This is, this is death. But wait a minute. Jesus both death and you actually start to look for and anticipate the resurrection that only God can bring out of that situation. Your drinking gets the best of you and, and, you, and you get pulled over for a DUI and it's humiliating, it's embarrassing and, and, and it feels like death as you know it. You feel like, man, I've blown it. But then you go, wait a minute. Even though I, I failed, even though I messed up, I'm with him. I'm with the one who has reversed death and turned it into a resurrection. And you actually start to get excited to see how God is going to use that death, that low point of your life, to bring something out of it, to bring something better. You start to look at the future, that there's something good that's coming. Not because I'm a wishful thinker, but because I'm with Christ. He's the one who turned death into resurrection. And I'm with him, and he's going to do that in my life. This year, we had one of our faithful members, one of our worship singers. In fact, she's saying this morning right here up on the platform, Monique, been in our church for eight or nine years. She's experienced not just little death, but she faced the reality of death on earth. I want you to check out her story. I've been fighting this long road of Crohn's since 1996. It was a, um, it's been a journey and the Roads always winding and turning, and there's mountains and there's valleys. The illness is you never know what you're gonna get. I woke up the morning of August 9th, and I could barely breathe. And to get from my couch to my bathroom, which is maybe a 15-foot walk, it took everything within me to get there. And I was writhing in pain, and I just looked at my Dad, who happened to come down too at the time, and I said, call 911, I can't do this. Turns out something was very wrong. When the first responders got there, my blood pressure was 60 over 40. Normals, 120 over 70. 60 over 40 is near death. My hemoglobin had dropped to five. Normal level is 12. My GFR, which is your kidney num function number, was at a 30. That's failure. That's going into failure. I truly believe my organs were trying to shut down. I went in over 100 pounds, but got down to 90 quickly. 
I was rolling and writhing in pain and I was scared. I thought I was gonna die. And I thought, not yet. God, you promised that I had a lot of work to do yet. And I'm not done. I know I'm not done because I can feel it, but I'm scared and I need you. And in that moment, I felt his comfort. And I felt him saying, watch me work. Just keep your hope and your trust in me and watch me work. And watching my mom cry broke my heart. Like, I can't do this to her. First, th first thing in the morning, I was being rolled into pre-op and they were gonna get things started. The outcome of that was I had a, not a single, but a double septic infection happening on either side heading up to my lower back. They met in the middle and the doctor said they had a party that you did not want an invitation to. I know he's been practicing for well over 30 years. He had said that he had never seen a case like mine in all of his career. It's the worst case he's ever seen. He was playing his day and said, if we had not done this surgery, you wouldn't be here today. My family and my friends and my church family would, if I would text and say, hey, I need, you know, I need somebody to visit me or whatever, they'd drop whatever they were doing and they were, they were there. No questions asked. And there's people, there's an army of people who are out here who are in my corner praying and fighting on their knees so that I can get out of this mess. Having gone through what I've gone through, I believe is another resource God uses to help others, for sure, to stay in hope so that they understand they're not alone. We fight battles usually that most people don't know about. Basically, you and God know, but nobody else really knows what you're going through. They might be able to relate to it somewhat, but I feel no matter what the diagnosis, I'm either gonna choose to be in misery or I'm gonna choose to be in hope. Hope sounds like a better plan to me than misery. Not saying that I've not had days where I cry. I'm not saying that I haven't had days where I just wanna throw something across the room because I'm frustrated that the enemy keeps putting crap in my way. But ultimately I know who wins and that's Jesus. What's hard about watching God work when I'm scared is not knowing the outcome. You don't know what's gonna happen. God's got a plan, but what is that plan? We don't know it fully. We take a step, he meets us, he shows us which way to go on the next step. It's that step of faith that we have to take. And we trust that he's gonna do what it is he needs to do. God's will is for us to be healed. 1 Peter 2.24, at the end of the scripture, it says, by his wounds, we are healed. However, I learned to be, be okay whether or not that healing manifested here on earth or if it manifested fully in when I get to heaven. It may not happen all the way here when I'm on earth. So my hope is anchored in the healer, not the healing.
The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and well in me, quickening my mortal flesh and bringing life to my body. I've stood on that scripture for years, 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 years. As I said, it could manifest fully or some, or it could not manifest at all. But I'm okay with whichever way God's plan is. So Joyce Meyer had mentioned one time, like, don't call something, like for instance, in my case, my Crohn's, don't take ownership. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and God has come to give us life and life more abundantly through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, when we try to say my, we're taking ownership of the disease when it's not ours to own. That's a battle we fight, but it's not an illness we own. The enemy is author of illness, not us. I fight it, but I don't own it. To the folks who are suffering whatever named diagnosis they've been given, I say this, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Don't let the enemy steal your hope because hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hang on to your hope, hang on to the hope in Jesus and ask God for his strength to do that. You're not here to do it on your own. We weren't created to do it on our own. We're leaning on the healer we're not counting on the healing. What are you putting your hope in? I love what she said. She put not a hope in the healing, but into the healer. Some of us, we put our hopes in the wrong things. We put our hope into, we put hope in our money, our possessions, relationships, our jobs. Some of us put our hope in a, in a political party. And at the end of the day, all those things are going to fizzle out and disappoint. But we put our hope into Jesus. Because only he has reversed death himself and can reverse your death. The little death as well as the final death for those who are in Christ. We've seen this song from time to time. Only Jesus can turn mourning into dancing. Only Jesus can give beautiful ashes. Only Jesus can turn shame into glory. Only Jesus can turn graves into gardens. Only Jesus can do all that. And so to the people living in darkness, Isaiah spoke those words of hope. A light is coming. And here we are, standing on the other side of that historical moment. How do we find hope? How do we find light in the darkness? Sure, it's been a tough year for some of us. So far, 2020, 21, and 22 has been a tough decade. I think we can all agree on that. But if you listen closely this month, you're going to hear another voice. 
mit der Vorstellung der Prophet Isaiah. Leid ist gekommen. Ein Leid hat da. Und ich hoffe, dass ihr die Zeit nehmt, um zu behalten. Behold him. Adore him. He is the reason that we're here. At the end of the day, at the end of the Christmas story, it's all about hope. Plain and simple. The Christmas story is all about hope. Hope has a name. His name. God, we thank you for that hope. You bring us that hope. The one true living hope, your son Jesus. And it's your son Jesus that can bring us deep joy and everlasting peace. So God, help us for those who are in Christ, not to lose hope in your son, Jesus. In a little death, as well as we go to our final death, we find our hope, our faith, that the future holds good things. And we hang on to that hope. Some of us, we need to hang on to hope because our marriage is falling apart. And hang on to hope because some of us are we're worried about our kids. And hang on to hope because we're, we're there's so much financial issues in our lives. Maybe our job is at, is at stake. God, I pray that we keep holding on to hope and believe that you are in the business of reversing death. So God, we ask you to help us this Christmas season to behold, to behold you, to sit back and to remember why we celebrate Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.